Hey now, good day and welcome to another hopefully exciting episode of Growing Your Successful Business, a free podcast all about things, uh, about all things small business. Uh, just a reminder for all of you listening, we're now available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, Breaker, uh, tons more. Um, you can find all the links for that stuff at uh, growingyoursuccessfulbusiness.com or brianlharding.com. Um, don't be afraid to subscribe, share, review, rate, all that good stuff that you hear about on uh, podcasts, all the things that are important for all those measuring metrics and stuff like that. Today, I'm super excited to have on Kenneth Baff. Kenneth, Kenneth is the principal and co-founder of One Up Floors. And uh, this is what Kenneth told me about himself. One Up is a rare startup success story made possible by defiance, tenacity, and careful application of philosoph- philosophy and, believe it or not, morality. So welcome, Kenneth. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, so Kenneth has uh, a, a pretty exciting story here and a y- very unique um, history. Um, so we'll start out when you're 19. You accidentally get a sales job in the infamous timeshare industry. Yeah. Uh, how did that happen? So uh, I started, uh, I washed out of the Marine Corps to start off with. Uh, I was in there for a couple of weeks, got a medical discharge for some hernias. Didn't know what I was going to do, so I went to work at the front desk of a resort. And this resort company uh, was a, a company that my mom actually did sales for. And I didn't really understand much about what she did, but she did sales for them. And uh, I was working at the front desk, the swing shift, and uh, one day this guy and his family comes in. Uh, they had a lot of trouble getting there. They had a lot of trouble uh, with the room. It wasn't ready. There was problems with it. Uh, I took good care of them. Uh, solved a lot of their problems, and uh, the guy really took a liking to me. And uh, so he goes into work the next day, and it turns out he is going to speak at the sales office where my mom worked, which was nearby. Right. And uh, he doesn't know who I am. I don't know that he knows my mom. I didn't even know who he worked for. And uh, he's talking to my mom about this awesome young guy he just met who's, like, extremely assertive and right. really communicative and he's like I want to hire that guy to be a salesman so he says uh, we're have a sales office in Utah I'm going to hire that guy um, he described him and it was me and I had a shaved head at the time Right. and uh, he's like this, this guy with a great smile and a shaved <laughs> head and uh, my mom says holy crap I think that's my son Right. and uh, so she just reaffirmed what he already I guess saw in me and so he hired me to, to do this sales job in Wolf Creek, Utah Right, and I had no freaking idea what it was about, what what I'd be selling, just resorts and vacations. is yeah. all I really understood. So, so you get into the timeshare industry, you're immediately displeased with the uh, quote unquote shadiness of it, and there's some questions about ethics and things like that that yeah. you discover. Yeah, um, you didn't really think you were going to fit in, uh, but then out of pure obstinance, uh, and for those who know Kenneth, that that's a fair assessment sometimes. <laughs> Um, obstinist, I would say, you know, and then he says defiance and spite. Uh, you decide to become an elite timeshare salesman despite all that, and you're going to do it by by being honest. Yeah. <laughs> and that was your mission, right? Yeah. Um, so it turns out you can do that. Uh, after nine years, you had tons of uh, accolades, countless plaques, and all the, all the awards and records and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you did very well there. Then you move into the multifamily flooring industry, at 27, yeah. and uh, according to you, there's some parallels there that you discovered. So, yeah, yeah so you, you go from one industry where you're not super excited about the, the way things are done into another, mm-hmm. right? Yep. 
and uh, really ticked me off. Really, yeah, really pissed you off, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, you said I'd do the same thing again. This time you're gonna you're gonna light a different industry on fire and show them that you can do all this stuff with ethics and honesty and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, um, how did that? How did that? Uh, what was that little journey like? Well, uh, after I got out of the timeshare business, I needed a job. I sold telecom for like six months. Uh, didn't like working uh, for that company. Their service delivery side was really bad. Mm-hmm. So out there telling me to sell stuff that they're not going to service right and then uh i left and one of my customers uh looked me up found me tracked me down and they hired me to come work for them as a sales rep right uh got there and uh their company was really small at the time and um i was used to working for big corporations it was super unprofessional and i was like whoa (laughs) what's, what's going on here right uh, but for the first time in my life, they had a guarantee. So yeah. normally I'm, I work yeah, straight, straight commission. commission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I start doing the job, and I'm thinking, you know, it's outside sales. I'll just use some of this time to find a real job, and I'll sell a bunch for them to make right. up for the for the little minimum that they pay me. Right. And uh, like a month into it, I started to realize, like, whoa, uh, this is super easy. Yeah. Uh, all these customers are basically abused by these other companies, and all I got to do is just not be terrible to them and right. help them out and do what I say I'm going to do. Yeah. And uh, they'll buy. Right. And I was like, whoa. So the process was super simple for me, and uh, I developed my own approach. That company didn't have any training as to like how you're supposed to go about selling stuff. and So I just used what was natural to me and what I'd learned in t- Timeshare and uh, applied it. and. It took off. Yeah, and next thing you know, you're the VP of uh, sales and marketing. Is that right? Is that what your, t- is that what your title was? Uh, VP, the whole company. Yeah, okay. Uh, and you had big visions and things like that, and then you found that your vision and, and uh, the boss's vision didn't exactly mesh. Yeah. So you decide one night, it sounds like at about 1.47 a.m., you, you text your friend Ryan Marshall and say, what? Uh, I said, hey, Ryan. I uh, texted him. I said, uh, do you want to start a floor covering company with me in Washington um, that'll change uh, what everybody expects from a flooring vendor? Right. And he was like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, actually, he said, yes, let's talk about it in the morning. Right, right, yeah. right. And so, like, all good ideas, it happens in the middle of the night, yeah. and uh, then you got to figure out the next day. So fast forward five years now, One Up Floors has been in business for five years. you got 13 employees, 17 crews, over 350 apartment community customers. Uh, you've turned a profit every year. You don't do any outside financing, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, you tell the truth and you do what's right. Which uh, is for those of you that know me at all, that's um, that's kind of the one of the core things I promote and yeah. and strive for is is creating a company like that. Yeah. So, but before we get to the five years in and the woohoo's, um, before you even get going, you're a few days before you open up and mm-hmm. you find out that. Somebody's not going to sell you anything. <laughs> yeah. So tell, tell us about that. Uh, so in the flooring world for apartments, there's like three big main manufacturers. And uh, one of them, I didn't, I didn't want to rep their products, but these other two I really wanted to. And talked it out with them, told them I'm going to start my own deal. Uh, told them I had cash to pay for everything up front because it was a new company. had no credit. Wouldn't right. expect them to give me right. any credit. And uh, they were like, yeah, it's totally going to happen. I got uh, samples, had all our stocking products all picked out. And... And a couple days before this, uh, b- sorry, three days before opening and one day before this big trade show, uh, I call one of them just to work out details of when I'm going to see him at the trade show in Las Vegas. And uh, uh, he informs me, hey, um, we're not going to sell to you. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, what? Right, what? right. And I thought maybe he was joking. 
for like about 30 seconds. He kept asking, are you joking? Are you joking? And he's like, no, no, I'm totally serious. And I said, why? And he said, well, we just can't extend you credit terms. And I said, well, that's weird because we don't, we're not asking for credit. We're paying you in advance. Right. And they're like, ah, oh, no, sorry. Can't do it. Uh, so then I start freaking out. Right. Call the second company. Uh, say, hey, we're still good, right? And then I got a, uh, no, uh, I don't think it's a good idea for us to open up a new company in the area. Uh, I think those companies uh, got a lot of pressure from my what would be my future competitors. Right. And uh, I think they caved. Yeah. And uh, so there I was three days before we were supposed to open and uh, a carpet company, and I don't have any carpet. Right. Uh, so I went out to that trade show, which was in Las Vegas, and uh, had a whole bunch of money in the bank, and I walked around to every carpet manufacturer in the country who are all at this big, giant trade show, and uh, I was looking for products that would work for multifamily, and then it surprised the hell out of me that there's a whole bunch of manufacturers out there that make products that are, like, better than the stuff I was already yeah. selling. So you thought there's only three. turns out there's 10 20, or 25. Yeah, yeah, okay, gotcha. So it was a whole bunch, and uh, I found a couple who uh, I don't want to say took a chance on me because I was literally paying them in advance, but right. uh, I found some that would sell to me, and we launched the company without without those two big awesome players that we wanted gotcha wow that's so so um although your circumstances are unique in that you you were opening up a, a, a line of product that you didn't weren't gonna have any product not terribly unfamiliar for folks who started their own business to get three days in or three days before and you have that oh crap this isn't gonna work moment yeah um i think that's kind of a universal thing that something happens for almost everybody you know right around the kickoff that completely makes you second guess everything you've done no it was terrible um uh, before i forget i want to just throw out kenneth's uh, website oneupfloors.com that's the number one upfloors.com and again his customer base is very specific he only he only services one industry but uh i'll talk about a few things here that that for those those of you listening you might want to take a look at it just to to see what he's doing he does some things i think really well um one of the things i ask folks to do when they come on here is bring a list of things that you've done well and things that you haven't done well and I'm going to go over a few things here um, regarding Kenneth and One Up Floors that he didn't bring, just things I see from an outsider's perspective. And I do spend a fair amount of time with Kenneth um, in a variety of different ways. And uh, I see things that he does really well that I think a lot of folks could learn from. Um, I want the audience to know before you begin, I have no idea what he's Kenneth has no idea yet. what I'm about to say, and yeah. he's terrified. He's shaking in his boots over here. No, I'm not worried. Um, one of the things I, I, I preach all the time to uh, companies, I, unless you're unless you've launched the new iPhone, which I suspect most of us have not when we start our companies, you're going to be joining in competition with in an industry that has existed for probably a hundred years or fifty years or three hundred years or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that is critical for folks to do is to articulate. Well, first of all, define, uh, you know, figure out, define, and articulate why somebody should buy from you instead of Brand X. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that One Up Floors does a, a, a really, really good job of. On all the marketing materials, they list out what's in it for the customer to call them rather than somebody else. And this is one of the things that when, when you're in a sales role or you're starting a company or both, um, it's too easy to fall into the, the situation of, I need to get sales, I need, I need, I need. Instead of saying, what does the customer need? What, what can I do to make their life easier? Mm -hmm. why, if I was the customer, why would I buy from us instead of Brand X? Yeah. And many times that's a foreign notion to folks, and I think that's incredibly important to, to get that out there, is if you were the customer, why would you buy from your company instead of somebody else? And uh, um, on some, like I said, I'll show up some of the marketing things that they do here. Um, 
what we do different is the headline of this saying, what you get out of the deal um, in, your, in your what we do different thing. One of the things is require one-uppers to live by a strong set of principles, pay our installers well, and hold them to higher standards, only sell products we would buy if we were you, test the stuff we sell, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think you guys do a great job of pointing that stuff out and, again, explaining to the person making the buying decision why they should do that, what's in it for them. Yeah. Uh, how'd, you, how'd you figure that out? Um, well, through sales training, you're always taught to see things through other people's eyes, and the, the scientific term for it is theory of mind, your ability to theorize what the other person's mind might be experiencing. Right. Uh, so that's kind of been trained into me just from – being in sales for so long. Uh, on top of that, I think I just had a natural gift for it. Some people call it empathy. Right. Um, uh, I don't see it that way. Uh, I see it. I'm just have a, I don't know, a little bit better knack for seeing how other people might see stuff. Right. Uh, but for those who don't know you listening, uh, you are a true student of business and a true student of sales. I mean, you spend, yeah. you invest a lot of time researching, reading, yeah. uh, digesting information. Yeah. You didn't just wake up one day and figure out theory of mind. You no, got the, you researched it. <laughs> you yeah. got that somewhere, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no I read a tremendous amount of information on all sorts of subjects that usually surrounds people in some way. But right, yeah. right, right. Uh, something else that One Up Floor does, does a great job that I would, I would recommend for any small business is explaining their values, um, laying out for everybody, uh, the company, the customer, and the employees, what is expected of the employees. Um, and telling the customer what's really important to one-up floors. Mm -hmm. uh, again, you guys do a great job of that. You have a whole sheet here on what your values are. I'll breeze through these because there's, there's quite a few. But um, what they did here is they, list, they have a list of words that, that kind of define their values. And there's a quick definition of what, you, uh, what each one is. Something really important about those definitions is they're not the exact definition of those words. So the definitions were augmented. And then I got buy-in from all the team members at the time that we would all agree that this new version is what we mutually think is the definition of this term right. as we see it. So, so you, create your, you create your values with your team. So they have buy-in. They're agreeing that they're going to do these things. Mm -hmm. And then you publish it. You don't publish it. And then you go sell it to your employees. Yeah. Right. And I, I think you're right. I think that's a critical piece. So when you go through their values for one-up floors, uh, trustworthy, uh, able to be relied on as honest and truthful, uh, candid, truthful, and straightforward, frank, self-aware, uh, conscious knowledge of one, one's own character, communication, feelings, motives, desires. And there's a list of about 10 more here. Uh, again, they, they're just quick words to say, here's what we're about, and here's our definition of that. And why do you think that's important for the customer reading this or a potential customer reading this? Why, why, why is this... Why is this something you guys invest time in? I want them to know how we tick. Uh, I noticed for a while a lot of customers just liked the stuff we were doing and liked what we were all about, but they didn't quite understand how it happened. And uh, more importantly, I think they didn't understand the lengths that we go to to make it happen. Uh, this is a really difficult process. There's a reason that most companies just fire off like five points of values or maybe two or three principles, and they stick them on a plaque somewhere at some obscure part of the office, and they're never to be discussed again. Right. Uh, so, uh, we wanted to make, we wanted to make ours, uh, very meaningful and we wanted to make sure everybody completely understood them and was completely bought in and completely agreed. It's a requirement, like right. you can't work at our company unless you do. Um, but, uh, when you have a set of values and principles, it's kind of like a mutually agreed upon, uh, list of character traits, your values, this is what you want to be. And then, uh, principles, uh, this, these are the methods that we will deploy in every scenario we're going to find ourselves in to make sure that we are being these things that we value so much. Right, right. So, uh, and one of the other things that uh, I like about your marketing stuff and kind of how you approach this values and principles things 
is uh, you're not afraid to use bold language. Yeah. Um, the word radical is regularly used throughout your marketing materials. Yeah. And so I'm reading here on the uh, one-up principles, uh, one of the things that you are promote proponent of here and you put out for your potential customers and customers to read is that radical transparency is important to you. Yeah. Radical open-mindedness. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you put on that part that um, uh, one of my favorite things on that part is that you mentioned that One Up Floors has no interest in being right, rather the interest is in finding the right answer for answer for the customer's need. Mm -hmm. And that's a that's a pretty cool distinction there. Yeah. And again, not being afraid to use this um, very bold language. It's not your stuff is not just the generic boilerplate, you know, we care about doing the right thing and we care about honesty and we care about making sure you're happy and blah 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 blah. You're using very bold language here to indicate to folks that you've put some thought into this. Yeah. Um the path that I've chosen for this company and all the people who may uh, choose to join us, um, it's a difficult one. Like we're not, we're not just trying to sell floors. Uh, we're trying to change an industry and uh, any difficult task is going to require people that are, have a high level of commitment and they have a high level to the cause and they have a high level of trust for one another because they're going to be encountering a lot of t difficult circumstances. Right. So I want to make sure that nobody was ever confused about what it was and was not that was expected of them going into it so that, um, Later on, if things get difficult and they start to question what's going on, you can always refer back to it and say, hey, this is what we both agreed to. Right. So for somebody listening who is either starting a business or six months in or five years in or 25 years in, who hasn't gone through this process of defining your values and your principles and all that kind of stuff, run us through it in two minutes or less. What, what does this look, what's the process look, uh, look like for you? Okay, first and foremost, before I start the process, I need to make sure it's really clear that uh, a lot of people put too much emphasis on other critical aspects of business and not enough. They usually low-prioritize uh, culture, mm -hmm. and part of culture is having a set of agreed-upon values, character traits to adhere to or to aspire to, and then principles, methods to go about doing that. Right. Um, so they, they grossly underestimate it, and I would say, I would challenge that that philosophy that uh, it's actually the most important part. There isn't anything else that is as important as your culture. Right. Because uh, your people are the ones you're working through, and they're the ones who uh, are going to be having the experiences and the interactions with your customers, uh, not you necessarily. Right. So the way to do it. So, so okay, so uh, most folks would, would spend all their time on training on sales mm -hmm. or the technical part of the job, mm -hmm. and and glance over this stuff is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And then you would recommend kind of flipping the order of that, create this first, put the emphasis on this first, mm -hmm. then get into those other things, constantly referring back to this stuff. Is that what you're kind of saying? Yep. You want to know exactly the type of person that you want working in your company. You also need to make sure that you are that type of person or be prepared to hire somebody that's going to be an intermediary, intermediary between you and your people. Right. Because if you don't walk your talk, uh, nobody's going to follow you. Right. So... Um, you want to uh, – setting up a system of principles and values, you're going to want to figure out uh, what, is, what, is mo what are the most important character traits that I would see. I think the best way to look at it is looking back at all the experiences that you've had through your life as a consumer, what mm -hmm. you've purchased, where, um, uh, what you've whatever invested in, and all the times that went wrong and all the reasons that that happened. Right. And every single time you're going to find that somebody's character fell short somewhere. Right. And uh, trust was broken down. So if you're going to set up a culture in your company, you want it to be based on a high level of trust. You want all your people trusting one another. So uh, they're not constantly speculating about what other, others' uh, motivations might be. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so you would want to picture in your head, what does a good person look like? What are their attributes? Right. Um, who do I want um, talking to my customers and dealing with my customers' difficult situations? Right. And you want somebody with a very strong character. So you need to make sure whatever your values are, they can't be wimpy, they can't be um, vague or unclear, and they, their purpose can't be to make people feel good. Uh, the purpose of them needs, uh, in my opinion, uh, should be to find and attract ta uh, strong talent, mm -hmm. people with strong character. So they have a belief system that is uh, already built into them uh, because of the way they were raised, let's say, and uh, they already are that way, and maybe you can tweak it and help improve upon it, but it's already there. Right. And then if there's any sort of skill that they're missing, you need to train for that. Right. Uh, but you uh, you can't train character. Right. So. Yeah, you can't teach people to be on time. You can't teach them to do a good job. You can't teach them to care. Mm -mm. You can't teach them that stuff. And, and what's funny for most folks in the hiring process is the first criteria they have is, I need X amount of months or years experience doing this task that I could teach somebody to do in two to six weeks. Mm -hmm. And the character and all the other stuff that really matter are secondary yeah. it's completely backwards for most people in the hiring process yeah um and i've told folks many times my rule for hiring folks for 20 years was would i trust this person i'm in my mom's house <laughs> that's yeah. really what it comes down to for me uh you know and and uh it's just funny though when you when people write job postings it is always you need x amount of experience in this and this and this and then maybe, there, maybe there's a sense at the bottom that talks about we really like good people with good character, however they phrase that. Yeah. And instead of the other way around, where it should be, we're looking for honest, ethical people who with good character who care, blah, blah, blah. And then down at the bottom should be one or two sentences on here's here's some tactful things you'll be doing. <laughs> yeah. You'll be typing or you'll be swinging a hammer or whatever it is you're going to be doing. Um, it's it's completely opposite for most folks of how it should be. Yeah, their actual technical skills are not going to be where the trouble comes from. It's right. not going to be that at all. Right. Um, yeah, and what's I want to think super messed up is a lot of times people write in the ads and doing the interviewing, they have terrible character. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> it's not strong, and what it's based on is all unbeneficial characteristics. Right, like they're not they, they don't have a snowball's chance in hell of being able to identify somebody with good character. Right, if they did see them, they would probably not like them and yeah. be intimidated by them. <laughs> right, right, right. Be like, oh, we need to bury that resume. We don't want them. We don't here want somebody with that. Yeah, stuff out. Make, making yeah. me look bad. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's a good point. How, you know, if if you're looking to attract people with good character, make sure the person interviewing them is a person with good character. Because mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I hadn't really thought of that before, but that that's an absolutely great point. That uh, uh, the person doing the interviewing would be completely put off by somebody who who had a superior character if they were if they were flawed in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing I want to point out again that Kenneth didn't bring is um, Kenneth and his group have done a great job of incorporating their personality into their business. Uh, even the name One Up Floors is a play on words, I'm guessing, from video gaming. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, so what does 1UP mean in, in the video game world? Next yeah. next player up? Uh, it's an extra life in Super an Mario extra life. Brothers. So. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, um, and I'll hold up here. This is, uh, for those of you who are watching, those of you who, are, who, aren't, who aren't watching won't see this, but what is this character called? Uh, it's actually just our mushroom. We made this it's one. Just, it's a mushroom, but it's, it's yeah. similar to one you would see on Super Mario Brothers or something like that, right? Kind of, sort of, yeah. Our, our slogan is give your units an extra life, and so yeah. our little brochure is, right. is that. So one of the things that, that uh, I think folks miss you know, in just creating who they are is they're afraid to incorporate their personality into things. Yeah. And you guys aren't. And it's no. it's just, it makes it fun. I mean, if you're going to spend 50 hours a week with somebody, you might as well have fun, right? And it all starts with the culture and things like that we've been talking about. But 
Uh, here's some of the names of, the, or here's some of the, the titles of positions held in Kenneth's company. Um, and these are, again, I think that these are awesome, and I would recommend folks taking a look at what, what, what do you like? What, what are you into that you could incorporate this kind of stuff and make it not, we don't have a customer service rep. We have a service ninja. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, and then you have your service samurai, which are outside salespeople. Is that right? Yeah, it's the reverse. The service samurai are stationary customer service and admin personnel. Gotcha. And the service ninjas are field sales and customer relation personnel. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, you have operations troopers. Uh -huh. That's awesome. And then you, of course, are the Grandmaster. Oh, that's, we have a rank system. So we have uh, Super, uh, Master, and then Grandmaster. Right. Uh, and I just I think that's I think that's really cool that you've incorporated your personality in there. Yeah. And uh, uh, for a variety of reasons. I mean, I think it's attractive to customers to not just be dealing with the same old bland brand X versus brand Y. And you can let people know you have a personality and you have interests outside of flooring. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there was three <laughs> things I was trying to accomplish there. It was three parties I was trying to please. I wanted to please the customer because they're sick of all the cliche. Yeah. American flooring, Washington flooring, yeah. Pierce County flooring, Seattle flooring. I mean, yeah. I don't know if there's a real company or not, but I think people just in general they start their 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 company something out. generic. Yeah. It's always something like that. Yeah. And then so I wanted to I wanted to please customers. I wanted to kind of have um, a fun experience and get some insight as to what the personality might of the people they're going to be dealing with might be. And then I wanted the people themselves, uh, I wanted to attract like-minded people uh, so that they would get along with each other. So uh, imagine that. So uh, I wanted to please the people working there. I didn't want them to have a typical title. I didn't want them to feel like uh, I just w downloaded a PDF off the internet of how to create a corporate structure. Right. Uh, and then uh, most importantly, I wanted to please myself. I right. Wanted, uh, I freaking hate corporate America yeah and uh, the corporate environment worked at it in it for a long time 10 years and uh, I don't ever want to do that again right and uh, I wanted to make a place that I would enjoy working at uh, sure so one that's what, that was part of it so uh, those those are the ones I had that I didn't uh, share with Kenneth and then here's the ones Kenneth brought to the table um, immediately begin building a lot of trust with customers and employees through carefully crafted system of values and principles we kind of covered that um, but you're able to rebuild customers' trust in suppliers. You, right? Mm -hmm. You're the supplier here, uh, and the results of that were massive sales growth. So um, year over year, you're you know double digits for sure, triple digits mm -hmm. probably, um, and you haven't used any outside lending. How, so you you walk in with a pile of money. It sounds like because mm -hmm. you were doing really well in your sales job, mm -hmm. um, and you're profitable from day one. So you never have to borrow money. What what kind of freedom does that give you? What what do you think that? It, why is that important to you? Why was that on your list? Well, we weren't profitable day one. We were profitable like month five and a half or something right. like that but it was, it was really quick so what was the question why 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 is the uh, you mentioned not having to borrow money why is yeah. that important to you i don't want to be at the mercy of a bank yeah i think that's uh if that's something that you can avoid uh in starting a business then it's absolutely something you should take advantage of sure and we forego uh for, for uh went i don't know we gave up a lot of avenues of having real explosive growth and getting really big really fast because of that right we could have gotten a lot bigger if we got outside financing but um my partner ryan and i he's my best friend uh we've been friends since we were little kids um neither of us wanted uh, we wanted to be debt free so right. we got uh we had our own money that we put in and then we had seed money from his parents and then one of my customers and since then his parents and my customers are now no longer part of the deal and it's just us right we uh, don't have lines of credit and uh no loans from banks right yeah it, no it, def it definitely does give you freedom and and you know for our our story is not exactly the same as yours but but pretty similar you know we're eight years old and we've had explosive growth as well mm -hmm. we we um, 
we kind of took a different approach. We just didn't pay ourselves. <laughs> that's how yeah. we. That's how we did. We we avoided going into debt. Um, and now we have some. You know, we we do things differently than we did before. But we we are very light on debt as yeah. well. And that's something that's really important to us. But we we just did it by uh, rather than slowing our growth because we knew we had to get to certain benchmarks quickly to to just uh, satisfy the customer's needs. Yeah, you can be a whole lot better. Um, covering an area as large as the Puget Sound area with 20 people than you can four people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so the product would suffer if we didn't get there quickly. And again, we just we just didn't pay ourselves. That's how we avoided it. Um, and you've created a truly positive and unique culture of consciousness and personal growth where every single employee has a voice and can affect change. Affect change. Mm-hmm. So we talked a lot about the culture and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, talk to us about how you instill into your employees uh, the belief that they have a voice and they can affect change. So it's through our systems, our system of principles and values. One of our principles is radical transparency, um, and uh, another one's radical open-mindedness, and then another one is extreme ownership. There's some more, but those three are uh, the the pillars, and they uh, require one another in order for the outcome to be uh, uh, desirable. Right. So if uh, you're only using one but not another, there's going to be trouble. Right. So. Early on, we indicated to, like when people first started working for us, we explained to them that here, um, you'll never get in trouble for telling the truth at all. It doesn't matter how Mm -hmm. harsh what you say is. It doesn't matter if it's a criticism. It doesn't matter if you call me out in front of the entire company uh, for something I screwed up. It's okay. You will not get in trouble. There Mm -hmm. will be no retribution. Right. Um, We told them the only time you will get in trouble is if you don't say something and you lie by admission or omission. Right. And I don't mean uh, anything like they don't need to tell us what they ate for dinner the night before right, or right, something right. like that. Just uh, things that are relevant to, right. the, to the life at our company. Um, so we, uh, through a system of basically tests, uh, and slowly we encouraged the employees to tell the truth, harsh mm-hmm. truth. And then we responded well to it. Mm-hmm. And when they would give ideas, we would incorporate their ideas. Sometimes we'd do them completely. Sometimes we would tweak them. Right. Sometimes we'd make them tweak them. Uh, and sometimes we wouldn't do them, but we would make sure to explain why. Right. Um, and then we would help, uh, sorry, ask them to help us implement another idea, right. uh, another time that they created. Yeah. Um, so you do this long enough and people start to realize, whoa, I can tell my boss how I feel. Like, I don't like the way he talked to me that one time mm-hmm. that day. Or uh, I think this policy we have is stupid and terrible right. or whatever. Uh, they can say it and they can say it. We encourage them to say it right away as soon as possible before memories get fuzzy right let me ask you this and this just occurred to me um when you talk about radical transparency are you talking about financial results yeah so everybody sees the top line bottom line numbers they see everything all the way through or you you show them top line and and gross margin i mean how do you what's your filter there yeah the filter is we don't uh talk about exact net profits but we tell the uh, team what our net profit percentage goal is and if they ask we'll tell them what it actually was Right. Um, it's usually at the goal. Uh, this last year, we we tanked. That's one of the failures I put in there. Yeah. So our net profitability was low. We still had it, but it was low. Right. Um, so you share. You don't share numbers. You share. You share percentages then. I'll share. Well, they can do the math themselves because every single month, uh, four times a month, um, we post the uh, numbers for the month. How much we've sold. How much. Uh, gross revenue that a company has sold so far for the month and right. we post it to the entire team. 
So they could really easily look at that and reverse engineer what our net profit was. And you, so you just put in the percentage of profit, and then they, they can figure out the math for themselves. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. It, it, I just I ask because folks have you know there's the entire spectrum of thoughts on how much you want to share that kind of stuff, and then just knowing that you're all for transparency, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah. So um, as far as things that you have stumbled on, um, one of the things I thought was pretty universal is you said you still haven't found a simple enough way to explain the complexities of flooring to customers, which leads to you talking too much and boring the shit out of them is what you said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that this is something that, again, is fairly universal. Everybody from the outside thinks that every industry is super simple. If you're in that industry, you think it's super complicated, and you're probably right. Mm -hmm. um, and you have, you know, between 17 seconds and eight minutes in a given exchange with a customer, potential customer to go through this stuff. Depending on their interest level. Yeah, yeah. depending on their interest level and, and their own knowledge and things like that. Mm. Uh, we, I think we all find ourselves in a situation where you're trying to get a whole bunch of information conveyed and you ha don't have enough time and you have to kind of pick and choose. How do you, how do you work through this? What, what's, your, what's your thought process on how you're overcoming this? Well, as I said, I haven't mastered it yet. Um, so you're not the grandmaster of this? No. <laughs> I'm not. Um, I'm a Padawan. So <laughs> I don't know what that is, but okay. I, people Wars, listening probably do. Okay. Star Wars thing. Gotcha. So uh, I uh, basically floors are ridiculously complex. It's I don't just say that because I work in floors. They're super, super, super complex. And uh, a lot of the man the manufacturers totally know how complex they are. A lot of the suppliers know how complex they are. Some of the suppliers do not know how complex they are. And uh, there's a lot of it's extremely easy for uh, a consumer and in my case in my industry's case our consumers are apartment communities property management companies mm -hmm. and they spend a ton of money so when they make a product decision it has like long lasting effects so it can like the one small bad call could cost hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes millions if the management company is big enough right so um trying to get these people to understand, hey, it's not as simple as fiber type when you're picking your carpet, or it's not as simple as, oh, this has a, uh, it has a wear layer, whatever. Uh, it's not that easy. And many competitors out there and manufacturers rely on the, cust the customer's ignorance as to how complex floors are. Right. So they make un overly simplistic sweeping claims that are soothing and give people, leave people with the impression of uh, confidence and safety right. in their purchase. So we try to uh, reduce really complex things down to simple things, and we usually use analogies to do it. Uh, that seems to work. Uh, and then uh, what I found is there seems to be a cycle with the customer. When they first start working with us, you know, they don't really want to hear all the stuff we're going to say or we might be saying to them. Um, but the longer they work with us and the more opportunities they see where we told uh, – history ended up showing that we told them the truth – uh, then they start to want to know more, and that gives right. us an opportunity to tell them a bit more. So you more. start out with a few basic high-level things, and then as you develop the relationship, you work into more and more detail. You, you're not trying to convince them to give you 20 minutes instead of eight minutes to, so you can really go into detail on the no. second meeting with them. You're, you're just trying to give them the overview, and then as you get to know them and they get to know you, work into more detail from there. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, you got to make sure. The problem is there's a lot of things that they don't know that they should know and need to know. Right. And if it sounds really boring to them, floors are super boring, um, they tend to want to like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, got, most industries it, are really boring, but most industries also can cost you a lot of money if you do it wrong. So Agreed. Uh, it's, it's one of those balances. So we spend a lot of time talking about culture and people and, and all that kind of stuff. 
you you have made some errors along the way though it sounds like a with bunch. with folks yeah um you mentioned that you hired the wrong people who didn't share your values mm-hmm. what so you're you're a guy who's obviously spent a ton of time t- thinking about values and principles on this kind of stuff mm-hmm. how could you of all people be the guy who hires the wrong person that doesn't seem to make sense um it was pretty easy actually um <laughs> all right <laughs> so the principles and values that we've got when you read them they make logical rational sense and if you ask your average human being um if they if this is what they want they're going to tell you yes um what they fail to recognize is it's not what they do right it's just what they what What they they want want. yeah and they also because they don't do it they fail to recognize how much effort is involved so we end up with two types of people uh, who interview with us, we found we have the people who uh, are one-uppers. That's what mm-hmm. we call our employees, yep. one-uppers. So they already are a one-upper in the way that they live their life and their, with their current strength of character. Uh, and then we have these other peoples that want to be a one-upper. And um, very few of the people who want to be a one-upper actually make it over there. Right. So what would happen is we'd interview, we'd talk about all the stuff that's important to us. The person would be like, yeah, that's totally important That's to totally me who too. I want to be, yeah. Yeah. And we'd ask lots of probing questions to test the information we were getting, and we had some good interviewers. And then, uh, unfortunately, uh, with enough time, uh, the truth reveals itself. Right. So we realized that, you know, they don't put a priority on being transparent with people. They don't put a priority on keeping an open mind when right. hearing somebody else's information on a subject. Yeah. Um, they just don't they're not selfless they're super self-involved yeah and um when when you have a culture where acting a certain way having a strength of character is the foundation anybody who doesn't do that sticks out like a sore thumb and it causes a bunch of trouble right yeah and then and then uh, one of the other things you mentioned which is is uh um universal everybody i've talked to i think so far keeping people who don't fit too long so you, you make the bad hire and you're just praying that because you know, especially now with unemployment's at four percent or whatever it's at, uh, it's super difficult to find good people. You're just praying that you, if you can invest the right amount of strategy and time and mm-hmm. things like that, you're going to cure the person. And then you look back a year later and you're like, I should have cut that person out four months earlier, six months earlier, a year earlier, whatever it is. Yeah. What What led to that? So the the person you hire, you hire the wrong person, they stick like a sore thumb because of your culture you have there. Why would you possibly keep them too long then? Um. I have this ability to see people's potential even when they don't see it in themselves. And I can see a path to them achieving it even if they don't see that path. And uh, a lot of times that can be really convincing. So I can get somebody to be like, okay. I I can do that, sure. Yeah, let's do this. (laughs) And then uh, what I fail to, what I have failed historically and I'm failing a lot less at um, is to remember that I'm not going to be the guy that's changing them. I'm just the one showing them how they can right. change themselves. Right. Um, so the control is not doesn't lie with me. And uh, I think a lot of people forget that. They think that if there's some combination of things I can say or the right time or whatever, I'll get through this person and they'll change. And uh, then they also have a sense of guilt. I don't want to let this person go because I see their potential. Maybe they're just screwing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to not give them a chance. Um, I wouldn't feel right about that. That wouldn't. They wouldn't feel right about that. Other right. employees might not feel right about that, so I want to give them chances. Um, but, yeah, historically I had trouble where I would see the person's potential and I'd want to give them chance after chance after chance, and it caused trouble, damage to the company, but damage to my people, the other people I'm responsible for, the right. other one-uppers. So and along that process, you mentioned tolerating far too much deviation from your values, values and principles. Yeah. So you hire somebody, 
it's usually within two weeks you're starting to see the red flags go up that mm, this isn't really working out. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my experience, anyway, I'm not here, sure if yours is similar or not. Um, it's usually pretty quickly, though, mm-hmm. that you start seeing little indicators that then grow and become medium-sized indicators mm-hmm. that then grow and become large indicators. How long do you give where you're seeing this pattern before you jump in? Depends on the person, the severity of the issues uh, with the pattern or the or the big problem. Um and uh, depends on their level of importance. There's strategic things that need to be considered by letting this person go right, r- right away. What tr- trouble could that cause to the department? Right. There's a lot of variables that need to be balanced. Um, but uh, whereas we used to give people a year, year and a half, uh, right. now we're we're like three months. Three if, months. If yeah. we're not seeing, uh, if we're not seeing what was advertised during the interview process, yeah, during that three months, consistently, yeah, no. Yeah, no, you, you've got to, you got to move. And again, it's something that universally it, I hear virtually every week, and in conversations I have with people that aren't being recorded, yeah. uh, it's 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 nearly universal. It, and you find yourself in a situation where you hope they hope, <laughs> and the, there's like we all know there's like a twelve percent chance it's actually going to work out. But you just keep hoping and you keep telling yourself it's going to work out, even though you don't. It's not. Um, something else you mentioned is uh, uh, again universal. Not doing a good enough job of recognizing employee success, uh, but doing a great job of recognizing their failures. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I, again, I think that's something we all struggle with. Is is you know, when you're the manager, the business owner, whatever, um, things are getting thrown at you all the time that are crises, you mm-hmm. know, or, and, and or really important and, and like or right now things. Yeah, and if you're dealing with it, it's because everybody else couldn't. Yeah, yeah, by the time it gets to your table, it's it's been filtered through, and, and it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, those aren't generally pleasant things. No. And so it's it does take conscious effort to carve out time and just walk around and say, hey, you're doing a great job, and thank you. Hey, come on up here. I want to talk to you. I just want to tell you you're doing a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that you almost have to calendar or set yourself reminders on your phone or something like that to remember to do because it's so important. But, you know, it, when you're in the middle of, crisis after crisis and challenge and problem and blah 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 um your brain doesn't think that way it doesn't it doesn't switch gears like that naturally no it doesn't um furthermore uh it's a little bit more complex at one up because uh one of our principles is um uh, a a drive for excellence Mm -hmm. so um we don't want anybody on our team to just want to be adequate uh we want everybody on our team to expect excellence from their themselves and, and their coworkers. Uh, so we have a philosophy at our company that we don't praise mediocrity. Um, if you're doing what was expected of you and you said you would do from the outset and that you're paid to do, that's not a noteworthy event. Right. Um, when people uh, exceed expectations, and our expectations are high, mm-hmm. when they exceed expectations, that's when you should acknowledge them, and you should right. make sure everybody knows you're acknowledging them. But I would, I would tell people, don't just – acknowledge positive things just so you can check the box and say you did. Right. Because what you can end up doing is enabling mediocrity all right. throughout your organization. Sure. Um, especially if you're throwing compliments to people who don't deserve them and yeah. their coworkers are watching you give them compliments. Right. And wondering if you're either inept and don't see that they don't deserve that compliment or if you're manipulatively insincere. Right. Either way, it breaks down trust. Right. Uh, but where I failed is even when my people exceed expectations, there's been too many times where I didn't stop and go to them and say, hey, uh, you just dealt with a really difficult thing and you dealt with it in style and you embodied all of our principles and values in the process. Like, that was freaking awesome. Right. 
Um, I do that. I just don't do it anywhere near enough. It's a right. big weakness of mine. Sure. And again, I think we all have that. Uh, something else that's pretty universal. You mentioned letting go of the leadership wheel. What do you, what do you mean by that? So I believe, uh, because I read uh, in books, and uh, that everything rises and falls on leadership. So uh, p- leaders are responsible for influencing the entire team uh, to be the best versions of themselves and to get uh, results from their work. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a poor leader, that won't happen. Right. Right? It doesn't matter how great your players are. Eventually, uh, the team will fall apart. So um, uh, there was a period of time last year where our company had just experienced like amazing success. We're really big, making a bunch of money. Stuff's really good. Customers are happy. Mm-hmm. I got managers and departments. Things are great. And I figured, hey, I can st- step back and not work as much anymore. Right. And this is after going through like a 12-year period where I hardly took vacations or time off and worked right. a lot. So I felt like I deserved it. Um, so I took off and went to working uh, only like four days a week. Uh, mm. Then it went to like three days a week, right? And then it was three days a week, but like five hours a day, right? And uh, I started to notice um, that the email traffic about personnel stuff, basically, yeah, drama. Uh, why? Because I was getting a big uptick in it, right? And uh, that hadn't happened before, and it's because I had failed to make really clear. Um, sorry, I had failed to identify the correct person who's supposed to take that leadership torch and uh, tell them what my expectations were of them and make sure that they knew what they were. I totally forgot to do that. I didn't right. do that at all. Right. Um, so I realized that when an effective leader is not there doing what they're supposed to be doing, that uh, morale suffers, pro- uh, productivity suffers, everything suffers. Right. So yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. It's, it's uh, again, it's a tough balance. You, you work seven days a week for the first few years to get things going. You mm-hmm. literally devote your entire life to this yeah. adventure and then when it starts to take off you you begin to say man i really need to take some time off i need to go spend some time with my wife or my family or whatever uh-huh. or take care of me here and there yeah and uh and you get a little taste of that and you it's do great. a little more and you yeah. it's great and you yeah. do a little more and, you, and, and pretty soon you're you're kind of checked out yeah and again i think that's something that's universal for all of us is is not having these massive swings of super engagement followed by super detachment, kind of kind of keeping it in the middle there, and, and yeah. always having you know always having equal parts, taking care of yourself but keeping control of things and what's going on. Balance is critical, and then a leadership succession plan is also critical. Yeah, you need to have people that are already pre-identified that are going to be filling this influential role, right? Uh, and that they're uh, capable of doing it, and you need to, if they're not already, teach them, uh, right? And if so if yeah. you don't have that in place, when when the cat is away, the mice play. Right, and that's a that's a great place for us to wrap things up. We get we've got a ton of other s- more stuff that uh, Kenneth and I have that we could talk about. Uh, maybe you'll consider coming on again, and we'll we'll yeah. pick up where we left off here. And yeah, and uh, uh, but that succession planning and leadership training and all that kind of stuff that those are all very critical things. We could we could spend a lot of time on that. And we got a whole list of things here. We got to all your well, not all your successes. We got to a lot of your successes. And we only got to a couple of the of the oopses. Um, so we'll have plenty to talk about if you want to come on again. Uh, thanks a lot, Kenneth, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I know you're not getting a whole lot of this. You're not likely to have people listening who are going to be able to buy your product. And so this is completely just a giving back to the community kind of thing. I really appreciate you doing that. Yeah. Uh, I'm selling nothing but what has worked and not worked yeah, for me. Uh, hope so uh, I hope somebody else. And just, you know, sincerely, I know you're, again, it, you're not getting anything out of this other than helping me out and, uh, and helping other business owners out. And I really appreciate that. So thank you very much for taking, taking the time to come do this. Yeah. 
Um, again, if you have any questions or, or suggestions for me, oh, by the way, Kenneth is the guy who said we were boring, so or I was boring. So uh, I'm really happy to have Kenneth on to to uh, uh, show folks that I can take criticism, and I am I am into radical uh, open mindedness. Yeah. Um, if you have suggestions for me, uh, other than I'm boring, and uh, uh, or questions or things like that, or you have or you have questions you wish I would start asking guests as they come on, shoot me an email at brian at brianlharding.com. Next week we're going to have on Tony Roberts. He's the general manager of the Tacoma Stars. Um, he's going to talk about his path managing a sports franchise. So um, a little different than uh, normal, but some of the things are pretty universal. Um, again, thanks, Kenneth, for coming on. We're mm-hmm. looking forward to Tony next week. That's all for today. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Oh, thank you.